Welcome, and thanks for joining us for another sermon from True Vine Baptist Church. This week, we turn to the book of Exodus as we take a look at what Scripture says regarding the Lord's Supper. You can join us by turning in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 11 as Pastor Josh LaGrange delivers his sermon titled, Christ, Our Passover Lamb. as well. We're going to begin in Exodus uh, 11 and 12, so you can find your way there. We'll also read in Matthew 26 and then in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 as well. So while you're spending a little bit of time turning there, let me pass along just a little bit of kind of church leadership stuff here with all the craziness uh, that we've had over these last few months. Of course, a great deal of our church's activities have been put on hold, led to weird and difficult decisions that uh, the leaders uh, had to make here. Uh, I'm very thankful that there has not been a grand mutiny against the leadership. Um, Maybe in your own homes, you made little dolls of Pastor Ben and I and stabbed them and things, but at least not publicly, we saw those kinds of things. Um, But we are attempting here uh, to get the ball fully rolling back into full life and ministry again. We announced uh, last Sunday uh, that we'll begin the discipleship groups again starting in July. Uh, Also want to pass along that it's our intention to begin the children's ministries again uh, in July. Something else that has just been on hold for these last several months is just having uh, church family business meetings and kind of passing along, communicating sort of where we are and saving for the building project, for instance. So um, another thing I want to let you know is that a week from today, next Sunday, uh, we'll have a a meeting after the service there. Uh, My primary agenda, don't really have any other agenda other than this one to just communicate kind of where we are in saving for the building project. Uh, So leaders are gonna meet this week, talk over numbers again. And then we'll communicate and where we are is getting excited. And I am ready to tell you about where we are. So uh, a lot of joy coming. So next Sunday and just kind of keep those things in mind as we're moving forward and getting back into things. Now to the text. We are observing the Lord's Supper this morning. And so we're going to spend time. What we'll do this morning is connecting the dots between Old Testament shadows and New Testament fulfillment in Christ. And so to do that, we're going to read longer section of scripture than we normally do. Um, So in fact, we're going to these three different places and consider this part of the teaching. So I actually shortened the sermon a little bit to uh, make room for the amount of time we'll spend reading because we're making connections here. We're going to read most of Exodus 11 and 12, then going to the New Testament Uh, to see the institution of the Lord's Supper and then even a verse in 1 Corinthians. So just a word of invitation and encouragement. When we read longer sections, it's easy to get distracted, lose focus, think about what's going on rest of the day. Let me just encourage you, remind you, let's lean in. Exodus 11 and 12 is one of those places that, you know, you've probably read it 40 times in your life. The 41st time you're going to see things, details there that you didn't catch before. So I'm going to, I'm going to read through and take our time. I'm not going to rush it. Really want us to see the details that are there. So what I want to do this morning, because it's a little bit out of ordinary, I'm going to pray now and then we'll read the passage. So if you'll bow with me right now, please. Oh, our holy triune 
sovereign, majestic God, we, your people, come and bow, and we are coming to draw near to you. Um, you have revealed yourself. You have invited us, drawn us, called us by name to come into relationship with you through the blood of your son, through the cross that he bore, the death that he died, the blood that he shed, the resurrection from the grave he experienced in victory. Lord, this is the foundation of our hope. We come to you in his name and wanting to remember specifically the work of salvation that you've done. And so I ask God that you'll help us. Father, we, we come with joy. We come with great gratitude. We also come with um, a sense of humility and, and fear, Lord, that we do not want to abuse this ordinance you've given us. We do not want to tread. We do not want to tread and tromp around with a sense of arrogance and presumption. Lord, you tell us to come boldly, but Lord, we want to come humbly. We want to rightly see these things. We want to worship in response. So Lord, we pray, help us in this. Help us as we study your word. Help us, Lord, to worship as we um, uh, look at these truths. And then I pray that we'll worship in the Lord's Supper. Uh, Lord, in the work that I have to do, Lord, I'm always just a second away from saying something that would be devastating or unhelpful, lead, lead souls astray. So please protect me from that. Set a guard over my lips to only speak what's truthful, what's faithful, what's right, what's helpful. Please protect ears in the room, O oh God, that we will only hear and receive what is right and true and helpful. So please bless this time and lead us to yourself. We love you, Lord. We pray these things through Christ. Exodus 11, you can begin with me in verse four and then we'll read through most of chapter 12 and then I'll give you instructions after that. 11, four, Moses is in front of Pharaoh speaking directly to Pharaoh. Moses said, thus says the Lord, about midnight I am going out into the midst of Egypt and all the firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. From the firstborn of the Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the millstones, all the firstborn of the cattle as well. Moreover, there shall be a great cry in all the land of Egypt, such as there has not been before, and such as it shall never be again. But against any of the sons of Israel, a dog will not even bark, whether against man or beast, that you may understand how the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. All these, your servants, will come down to me and bow themselves before me, saying, go out, you and all the people who follow you. And after that, I will go out. And he went out from Pharaoh in hot anger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will not listen to you so that my wonders will be multiplied in the land of Egypt. Moses and Aaron performed all these wonders before Pharaoh, yet the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he did not let the sons of Israel go out of his land. Now the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, this month shall be the beginning of months for you. It is to be the first month of the year to you. Speak to all the congregation of Israel saying, on the 10th of this month, they are to each one to take a lamb for themselves, according to their father's households, a lamb for each household. 
Now, if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his neighbor nearest to his house are to take one according to the number of persons in them, according to what each man uh, should eat. You are to divide the lamb. Your lamb shall be an unblemished male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. You shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel is to kill it at twilight. Moreover, they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that same night, roasted with fire, and they shall eat it with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled at all with water, but rather roasted with fire, both its head and its legs, along with its entrails. And you shall not leave any of it over until morning, but whatever is left of it until morning, you shall burn with fire. Now you shall eat it in this manner, with your loins girded, your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will go through the land of Egypt on that night, and I will strike down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt. I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you live. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Now this day will be a memorial to you and you shall celebrate it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You are to celebrate it as a permanent ordinance. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, but on the first day, uh, first day, you shall remove leaven from your houses. For whoever eats anything leaven from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. On the first day, you shall have a holy assembly and another holy assembly on the seventh day. No work at all shall be done on them except what must be eaten by every person. That alone may be prepared by you. You shall also observe the feast of unleavened bread. For on this very day, I brought your host out of the land of Egypt. Therefore, you shall observe this day throughout your generations as a permanent ordinance. In the first month, on the 14th day of the month at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the 21st day of the month at evening. Seven days, there shall be no leaven found in your houses. For whoever eats what is leaven, that person shall be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he is an alien or a native of the land. You shall not eat anything, le eat anything leavened. In all your dwellings, you shall eat unleavened bread. Then Moses called for all the elders of Israel and said to them, go and take for yourselves lambs according to your families and slay the Passover lamb. You shall take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood which is in the basin and apply some of the blood that is in the basin to the lintel and the two doorposts. And none of you shall go outside the door of his house until morning. For the Lord will pass through to smite the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to come into your houses to smite you. And you shall observe this event as an ordinance for you and your children forever. When you enter the land which the Lord will give you, as he has promised, you shall observe this right. And when your children say to you, what does this right mean to you? You shall say, 
It is a Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the sons of Israel in Egypt when he smote the Egyptians, but spared our homes. And the people bowed low and worshiped. Then the sons of Israel went and did so, just as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. Now it came about at midnight that the Lord struck all the firstborn in the land of Egypt from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon and all the firstborn of cattle. Pharaoh arose in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians and there was a great cry in Egypt for there was no home where there was not someone dead. Then he called for Moses and Aaron at night and said, rise up. Get out from among my people, both you and the sons of Israel, and go. Worship the Lord as you have said. Take both your flocks and your herds as you have said, and go. And bless me also. The Egyptians urged the people to send them out of the land in haste, for they said, we will all be dead. So the people took their dough before it was leavened, with their kneading bowls bound up in the clothes on their shoulders. Now the sons of Israel had done according to the word of Moses. For they had requested from the Egyptians articles of silver and articles of gold and clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they let them have their request. Thus, they plundered the Egyptians. Now the sons of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Succoth, about 600,000 men on foot aside from children. A mixed multitude also went up with them along with flocks and herds, a very large number of livestock. They baked the dough which they had brought out of Egypt into cakes of unleavened bread. For it had not become leavened since they were driven out of Egypt and could not delay, nor had they prepared any provisions for themselves. Now the time that the sons of Israel lived in Egypt was 430 years. And at the end of 430 years to the very day, all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. It is a night to be observed for the Lord, for having brought them out of the land of Egypt. This night is for the Lord to be observed by all the sons of Israel throughout their generations. Now, if you'll flip with me to the New Testament, to Matthew chapter 26. Matthew 26 and find verse 17 with me. Matthew 26, verse 17. Now on the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, where do you want us to prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he said, go into the city to a certain man and say to him, the teacher says, my time is near. I am to keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. The disciples did as Jesus had directed them and they prepared the Passover. Now jump down to verse 26, please. While they were eating, Jesus took some bread and after a blessing, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And when he had taken the cup and given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. After singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And then one more place, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, 1 Corinthians 5 and verse 7. 
Clean out the old leaven so that you may be a new lump, just as you are in fact unleavened. For Christ, our Passover, has also been sacrificed. Well, like many of you, uh, my 2020 plans have largely been thrown out the window and I'm having to remake everything that we had planned. Uh, in planning for preaching this year for the church, I had very excitedly decided that we were gonna take the year and really look at the theology of the Lord's Supper. Um, in my studies had come to see some new things and was excited to share them with you, but then the quarantine hit, we all dealt with insanity. But something that we wrestled with in the midst of the quarantine, when it came time to take the Lord's Supper was this. Pastor Ben and I really kind of wrestled through this and had some conversations and such. And it, it was, when it was time, would we go ahead and have the Lord's Supper while we were separated? We thought through, well, maybe we could, you know, share recipes on how to make unleavened bread. Families could do this in their homes and then we would just kind of lead it in a live stream kind of fashion. And Many churches did do that kind of thing. And, and listen to me very carefully. I'm not bashing them. We're trying to be faithful and different churches came to some different conclusions. But the singular reason why we and some others did not was because part of the very point, one of the most important truths that is preached in the Lord's Supper is the sermon of our corporate identity together in our union with Christ. That actually when the New Testament instructs us about the theology of the Lord's Supper, one of the major points that it makes is that we have been made one in Christ, we are sharers in Him, and there is a corporate togetherness. The meeting together is part of the very point. Part of what is preached in our actions, because this is a meal of symbols, truths are preached. One of the truths that is preached in this sharing of the meal together is our corporate unity. It's that Christ has made us one. He's brought us into union with himself and then we are in union with one another. We break bread together. So, I do not believe that the practice of like private Lord's Supper observance is legitimate. Now, if you're on an island stuck by yourself in prison or there's some extenuating circumstance, I, yes, I believe there to be latitude, but where possible, it is meant to be taken together. The Lord's Supper is for churches. The Lord's Supper is meant for the church family. The Lord's Supper is not for Bible study groups. The Lord's Supper is not just for groups of friends who just happen to like each other. In fact, it's one of the distinguishing marks of a church. One of the things that makes your church a church and not just a Bible study group is the practice of the ordinances that Christ has given us. Part of the point is us meeting together in what we preach to the angels and to ourselves when we engage in this practice. So we began this year um, several months ago, 
beginning the series that we'll work through through the rest of the year. It's been delayed just a little bit, but we'll keep going. And back on February 2nd, we looked at the first installment for this year. I give you the date just because in case you missed it, I would encourage you to go back and take a listen because part of what we did is lay some of the foundations of what is happening in this meal that we share together. The primary point we looked at was this. What is happening when we do this? And so with that, one of the main truths you have to think about is what is not happening? And what is not happening is that when you eat of the elements, that you're not earning grace, earning heaven points, earning merit points. You're not consuming grace. These elements do not transform into anything other than the bread and wine. They do not actually become the body and the blood of Jesus that is often taught. This is a meal of symbols and every Jewish person, when they read and heard what Jesus has said, would immediately recognize the symbolism and the purpose of it because the meal came from, the Lord's Supper came from the Passover meal that we just read about. And the Passover meal was a meal of symbols. The point of the Passover was a yearly memorial, a commemoration to remember what God had done in the past to save them. And what happened is the acts of God in the past were brought to the present again. They, they were going through, you, you saw that, I, I love that part there where it says, when your children ask you, what does this mean? There's your opportunity to preach the glory of what God had done in the past. Part of the point was to preach truths. See friends, what, what God could have done is after the Passover, when he, he called them to memorialize it every single year, he could have told them every year on the 14th of Nisan, I want you to sit down and have a family Bible study and that'd be it. Talk through the Passover, talk through what happened. But instead what God did is he gave them this meal. And so they did do a Bible study on the Passover. They did talk through the truths of what God had done, but God in his beautiful ways, he made a way of doing it where you are engaging in something. There is the tasting of bitter herbs on your tongue. And as you would taste that wine on your tongue and you would feel its sharpness, there would be remembrances of what God had done in the past. And so the point was to preach to the heart anew year after year in order to worship. Worship through remembering the grace that God had given. So what I want to do this morning is think through the Passover feast and show how it is the foundation of our understanding of the Lord's Supper. Now, the Lord's Supper does not merely preach one truth. It does not merely have one, one picture that it comes from and one picture that it gives. In the months ahead, some of the sermons that are planned to come is we're going to look at other elements. So for instance, there, there's an entire message in the fact that we eat it. We don't just pass around bread and hold it and touch it and you know talk about these kinds of things. There's a reason why we consume. There's symbolism in the, in the meal itself that by faith, we receive Christ into ourselves. And so my point is, 
There are numerous things pictured, just like baptism has numerous things that it preaches, the washing away of sins, and it preaches union with Christ. The Lord's Supper has numerous truths that God infinite, with infinite wisdom designed it to preach. But we can say, you will not understand the Lord's Supper if you don't understand the Passover that it came from, because this is the fulfillment, the shadow and fulfillment that God established, ordained, and we see in this. So that's what we're going to consider this morning. I've got two parts. The first one is the blood of the lamb saves from the wrath of God. We read a lot a minute ago. And so let me just kind of bring up some of the highlights. We would not be able to look at every single detail. And in past times, even in Romans, we've brought up the Passover and looked at some things. But let me just kind of bring up some of the highlights to consider. We saw that God gave Israel instructions not only for what to do the night of the original Passover, but he also gave them instructions about how to keep a yearly memorial of the Passover every single year after that in the generations to come. As you read through the history of the Old Testament, you will encounter um, Israel at times whenever they had uh, fallen to in spiritual decline and there were wicked kings, they actually failed to keep the Passover. There were years in Israel's history, like in the book of first and second Kings, where they did not observe it. And then a righteous king would come along like King Hezekiah. And one of his big reforms would be to establish worship at the temple again and lead the nation to observe the Passover once again. And so we see this kind of fluctuation throughout their history. But another way that God spoke of the Passover, another name he gave it, even in the text we read there, and it's talked about in the law, is it was also called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. The Feast of Unleavened Bread was one of the three big festivals that God instituted. There's a major point in that God wrote Israel's calendar. He gave them their holy days. <laughs> um, if you didn't catch it, yesterday was uh, D-Day, a, a day worth remembering, but it was also Donut Day, if you didn't catch it and didn't celebrate it together. Um, we've come up with all kinds of weird days of remembrance. God gave their calendar and gave them holy days of things to actually remember. And part of the point is on these days that they would remember and these feasts, these festivals, they would worship by remembering past acts that God had done. The Feast of Unleavened Bread began with the Passover and then there was a a week of joy and then a holy convocation, a holy day that ended it. And then they would go back. These three big festivals that you can read about in Leviticus and such, excuse me, Exodus, uh, also mentioned in Deuteronomy. These three big festivals, the instruction that God gave, the command that God gave was that at least the fathers, the whole family was encouraged to travel to Jerusalem, but at least the fathers were to travel to Jerusalem and they were to participate in the, the festival and each one had its length of duration. And part of it was enjoying a feast. And in eating this feast, they would remember the work of God that it was established to, to preach. And so the Feast of Unleavened Bread began with Passover and on that day, the leaven was removed from the homes. And then for seven days after this, they would only eat 
um, unleavened bread. They would not eat their normal bread with leaven and yeast to, to rise. They would eat unleavened bread to remember some points that were being taught there. And in some of the months ahead, we'll talk some more about some of the significance of the unleavened bread. We'll cover one point today, but there is more beyond it. But, but even before that day of Passover, you, you caught that on the 10th of the first month, God gave them their calendar. The month of Abib was the first uh, month of the year. And God said that on the 10th day of the month, they were to go and they were to take a lamb. You saw some of the specifications there. It was a chosen lamb, had to be unblemished. You know from the New Testament that all of this was meant as a shadow to look forward to Christ, Jesus, the sinless, spotless, unblemished, perfect lamb of God chosen by God before the foundations of the earth, set aside for this sacrifice. All of these are some of the purposes, but this chosen lamb would be set aside. And maybe by the way, just trying to understand the details and things. I, I hunt, field dress game. We butcher our own meat inside our house. I'm not squeamish about those kinds of things, but I'm telling you right now, a baby lamb is about the cutest animal you've ever seen in your life. A baby lamb can make a Norse warrior go mushy. And here they would take this young, really cute lamb. Like I think a baby lamb puts puppies to shame. I probably just offended 3 billion people, but a baby lamb is really cute is my point. And here they would come and they would choose it and set it aside. And for four days, they would care for it. They would feed it. Maybe it was attached right next to the house there. The little kids of the house would observe it. And then the night of the Passover, its throat would be slit. And I think part of the point is that this would be a hard thing to do. There would be something in the pit of your stomach that made it difficult. And that only in feeling that difficulty would they come to more understand what a devastating thing it is that a life needs to be taken in order to atone for sin. But they kept this lamb from the 10th day until the 14th day. And the 14th was the actual day of the Passover. That night at twilight, the lambs would all be slain at the same time. All these households with all of these lambs would be slain at the same time. Um, Josephus, the ancient historian tells us that one year, um, him just keeping records of close to the first century AD, that in one year there were more than 250,000 lambs slain in the city of Jerusalem. That's a lot of blood. That's a lot of death. Just try to imagine yourself as a little five-year-old and you're observing all of this. You're, you're hearing the cries. You're seeing very traumatic sights. This would put a pit of your stomach kind of guilty, wretched feeling to understand. And that's what's necessary to get what it takes to atone for sin. All, all 250,000 lambs and not enough. Year after year, after year, not enough. Imagine the role that faith would play in the night of the original Passover, the very first time that this happened. 
God gave this instruction that they were to take this lamb. They were to go through this whole process in order to observe this right. Imagine the scoffers because they're always scoffers calling everything that God declares, what scripture declares to be stupid, stupid. What are we, what are we doing this for? It sounds kind of strange. Imagine the role that faith would play and to, and to go through these things very similar to the way that we Christians preach Christ. We preach to the world that unless you have the blood of Christ applied to your life, you really are facing an eternity of hell. And there is this unbelief of, I, I don't need that. I'm a good person. I don't need your, your weird kind of stuff. You don't understand. I got a thing with God. There's a role that faith plays in this. In the rest of the years after this, when Israel would observe the Passover, it was meant to commemorate what God had accomplished, the grace that he had given to save them out of slavery, to deliver them from the Passover, and then to deliver them out of the slavery. And so it is incredibly significant that we understand that the Lord's Supper is the Passover fulfilled and transformed into something new transformed into a new covenant ceremonial observance. It was during the Passover meal that Jesus fulfilled that celebration and changed it into something new. Jesus did not abolish it, but he fulfilled it and transformed it. Which by the way, aren't we, don't we keep seeing that in the book of Romans? Romans seven, we're looking at how are we to view the law? How do we understand these things? Jesus said, I did not come to abolish, but I came to fulfill and there is something new. Well, here's an example like the Passover. And so all along, God meant for the Passover to be preaching an event that Moses did not understand. Moses was passing along details and instructions, but it was meant to be preaching the gospel before they understood what the gospel of Christ's atonement really was. But can you imagine, I mean, for a moment here, can you imagine the first time the apostles had that light bulb come on? The apostles, like Paul, had spent their entire lives learning the Passover, practicing the Passover, observing, observing, observing. Can you imagine the first time that that light bulb came on in Paul's mind of all of this is about Christ? That lamb, it's Christ. The bread, it's Christ. The wine, it's Christ. It's all preaching the salvation that God has brought. Here's how one scholar helps make some of the connections here. Now I'm, I'm gonna read a series of quotes Think about the original Passover and then the salvation we have in Christ and think through these connections here. In the Exodus, God saved a people for himself through the blood of a sacrifice. On the cross, God saved a people for himself through the blood of Jesus' sacrifice. In the Exodus, God freed his people from slavery and made them his own on the cross. Jesus freed his people from slavery to sin and made them his own. In the Exodus, on the night before that great act of deliverance, he gave them a meal to celebrate ever after. And in Christ, on the night before his great act of deliverance, Jesus gave us a meal to celebrate ever after. In the Exodus, God gave a meal that defined the people. They all celebrated and no one else could. Did you catch the part that only 
Israel was allowed to observe this. No one who was not circumcised and under that covenant was not allowed to participate. And in the new covenant, we share in a meal that is for Christians and warned not to be for anyone else. In the Old Testament, by retelling the story of their salvation, this meal brought God's past act of deliverance into the present and in the new covenant. Christ's past act of deliverance on the cross is brought to the present. Friends, when we eat and drink, we are sharing in something deep. We are sharing in something that not only goes back 2000 years, we are sharing in something that goes back to Exodus, sharing in something that goes back to the, the, the work of God in delivering his people from Egypt. We're sharing in something that is so deep. We'll spend our lifetime meditating on it and still will not see all that there is to see. We are rejoicing in expressing gratitude for, and we are preaching through our actions that Jesus is our Passover lamb, our unleavened bread, and our wine, the blood shed on our behalf. Let me show just one more connection that I'll point out under this part right here. Did you catch what God said back in Exodus that the Passover would be a memorial, a memorial for generations to come? And then when Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, what did he say? Do this in remembrance of me. Well, a similar kind of thing is happening here when we take the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper serves as a memorial and that is its purpose. You're not eating grace. The elements aren't transforming into anything other than bread and wine. The purpose is memorial. And there's something very interesting about this word that Jesus uses when he said, do this in remembrance of me. That, that word remembrance it's a word that is rarely used in the New Testament. In fact, it's only used in two contexts. When Jesus says this, and then that's repeated in the gospels, do this in remembrance of me. And the only other place in all of the Bible where it is used is in Hebrews 10.3. And here's what's happening in that passage in Hebrews. The book of Hebrews, it's laid out kind of, kind of in an argument fashion, sort of like the book of Romans there. And the argument that the book of Hebrews is unfolding is that Jesus has fulfilled the old covenant and the covenant he has brought, what Christ has brought is superior to the old covenant. The old covenant wasn't bad. It was good. The law is holy and righteous and good. Remember that from Romans seven, but the law couldn't save you. The old covenant was not designed to atone for your sins in eternity, but what Christ has brought, and that's, that's the big emphasis. The old covenant was good, but what Christ has brought, this is like the author like shouts it when he says, but well, what Christ has brought is superior. The salvation he brings is eternal. The atonement he has brought is eternal. It is vastly superior to the old covenant. Jesus is supreme and the new covenant is superior. That's the book of Hebrews. And each chapter is kind of taking something from the Old Testament, from that Old Covenant, and it is showing how Jesus is superior. When you come to chapter 10, in Hebrews 10, what is being heralded there, heralded with glory, is that in the Old Covenant, they had to make atonement for sins by those sacrifices over and over and over, and it was never enough. 
like on that Day of Atonement, which we've talked about, you know the details. Yom Kippur, that high priest would enter the one room that no one else ever went in. The Holy of Holies, where the Ark of the Covenant was and the mercy seat sitting on top, the throne of God on earth, the most central dwelling place of God on earth. And that priest would have that rope tied to his ankle so that if he was struck dead, he could be dragged out and he would bring in blood. He would bring in blood to sprinkle on the throne of God. And it was preaching all the things we know that a life must be taken, blood must be shed in order to make satisfaction for the justice that we are owed. And when that high priest would walk in there, those worshipers who were standing outside and they would be waiting for him to come back out. They would be remembering, we did this last year and the year before that. And then the one before that, and it just keeps going lifetime after lifetime of high priest. And in Hebrews 10, three, it says this, in those sacrifices, the old covenant sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins year by year. The word reminder is the same Greek word Jesus used, do this in remembrance of me. That high priest would enter the Holy of Holies with the blood of the lamb, the people outside, remembering we've done this before. And that high priest would walk in and look at that mercy seat and see the blood, the very blood he sprinkled last year. And there it would be stained, dried, crusted, the altar stained with years after year after year after years of stained blood. And that dried old blood is no longer effective. I got to do it again. And if I'm still alive, we'll do it next year and the year after that. And we will keep throwing ineffective blood on this mercy seat. Lifetime after lifetime of high priest. But Christ. Do you see the point? But Christ, if you were Pentecostal, now would be the time to get up and dance in the aisles. Don't do that. We're Baptists, okay? But, but Christ, and that's the, the point of what we see here. Once and for all ages, blood has been sprinkled that does not have to be repeated. Blood has been sprinkled that doesn't get old and crusty. There is the reminder every time we take the Lord's Supper, not of our sins, but of the remission of sins. There is the reminder every time we take the Lord's Supper, not of renewed guilt. That's not the purpose. The reminder is I am free. There is redemption in Christ. There is reminder not of a mercy seat crusted with last year's blood, but of a veil that has been ripped open, of complete atonement that has been made. There is a reminder that there is a mercy seat in heaven and the blood sprinkled there is eternally effective and does not have to be repeated. For all the ages to come, the blood of Christ is enough. What we have in the Lord's Supper is a reminder of this. It is a reminder time after time of forgiveness, joy, and the expression of gratitude that Christ has set us free. Well, let me show you one more connection with the Passover that I want to point out today. Number two is the urgency 
of fleeing Egypt. Did you catch that part in the original Passover in Egypt that Israel was to be dressed in readiness? They were to eat the meal with their loins girded, sandals on their feet, staff in their hand. They were to eat it standing up. They were preaching things by how they engaged in this. Their belongings were packed. They were to eat the meal in haste. Do you see that over and over again? It is the Lord's Passover. And I think some of the language there is, it's not just for your enjoyment. This is the Lord's Passover. And part of the point is, you know what, Thanksgiving, you come together, you eat and you take your time. You put on your lounging pants, your stretchy pants for the day. You, you sip your after dinner coffee. You take your time. Okay. All of that is enjoyment, not the Lord's Supper, or excuse me, not the Passover. The original Passover, you're standing, staff in your hand, sandals on your feet, loins girded, bags packed, and we're eating and we're waiting. And the message that was preached there is, God said, soon I am freeing you. Believe it, be dressed in readiness, and you be ready to go. And that is part of the significance of the unleavened bread. The unleavened bread has more symbolism that we'll talk about in the future, but here is the immediate for the Passover. Baking bread that rises with leaven or yeast, it takes time. It's a long process. You who bake your own bread, you set aside hours to do this for the rising process, the resting process, all these kinds of things. You set it out, you go through all these things. But God said tonight, you don't have time for that. You bake your bread quickly. You bake it into bread for travel and you get yourselves ready to go. It was picturing the quickness of their flight, the quickness of their coming deliverance. And did you catch how the New Testament makes repeated reference to this as well? Jesus was intentional to point out as he was explaining the Lord's Supper that when when we eat it, he said, I'm not going to eat it with you again until when? Until I eat it with you new in my father's kingdom. Luke records that Jesus actually uh, repeated that a couple of times in 1 Corinthians 11, where we're taught more about how to observe the Lord's Supper. Part of what we're told is that by doing this, we are proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. Part of the emphasis of the Lord's Supper is not only a looking backwards, it's a looking forward. It is a looking forward to the fact that you too are to be dressed in readiness. You and I, Christian, are to also not have ourselves tied to this world as our final home. We are looking forward as citizens of the kingdom of heaven. This, Egypt, is not your home. You are citizens of that kingdom to come. And scripture tells us the New Testament, be dressed in readiness, be watchful, be alert. Your deliverance draws nigh. And all of this is preached as well. The unleavened bread and the Passover preached a promise of deliverance and the unleavened bread of the Lord's Supper preaches that Christ is our deliverance and we are waiting for the promise of his return. It is a meal of symbols. And Jesus is the subject. We keep this meal as a, as a rite, an ordinance, a memorial, 
where we joyfully, but with seriousness, gladly proclaim again and again, Jesus broke his body for us. Jesus shed his blood for us. And Jesus is coming again for us. We all together share in him. And so we are members one of another. And this is why the New Testament gives the strict and even dire warnings that it does about not abusing the Lord's Supper. Why there are those instructions. Why Paul told the church at Corinth that there had been some church members die for abusing the Lord's Supper. We're engaging in something that is sacred. We are engaging in something that is deep and filled with worship. And so this is why we pass along the instructions and the warnings that we do every time that we partake. We don't want to lead you in some way that would be for your harm. Let me take a second here and talk through some of those instructions and warnings that the New Testament gives and keeping them in mind in light of what we've seen here. This meal is for Christians. If you have you know, come here and visited with us today, if you are a uh, follower of Christ, you are trusting in Christ and you have uh, followed up in obedience with baptism, even if you're not a member here, we still uh, invite you. You're welcome to partake with us. But if you have not responded to the gospel, if you have not turned from your sins or yet been willing to acknowledge that you have lived in rebellion, if you have not turned to Christ to be saved and then followed that up with obedience, we ask you not to participate, but not because we're trying to be mean. We're not just trying to keep a club. The dire warnings are given because we are not to trample the blood of Christ. We are not to abuse it. We are not to eat and drink condemnation onto ourselves. That is language from 1 Corinthians 11. If you're here and you've not responded to Christ, the greatest way you will glorify God right now is by taking this time to pray, confess to the Lord your faith in him. Confess to the Lord and acknowledge your need of salvation and then ask him to save you and, and then believe the promise, receive the promise that God says, all who call on his name, looking to Christ for salvation, you will be saved. But we encourage you, use this time to turn to him like this. For the believer, we're instructed to examine ourselves and to be careful that we not abuse it. Now, now listen, we need to be careful as we take this, that we, that we not go to either extreme. We need to be careful that we not go tromping around like hogs presumptuously. But we also need to be careful that we don't like impose this like, look out if you sinned in one way this week, don't you dare partake because that's not the language of the New Testament. Okay, if only perfect people got to participate, that rules all us out. What we're told is to examine in ways that we not be keeping ongoing, deliberate, unrepented sins in our lives. Every one of us sinned this week, okay? Every one of us sinned today already, okay? So this is not for the sinless, but we are to repent. 
We are to be a people that continues to repent and does not hold on to unrepentant sin in our lives. And so as we examine one of the reasons why uh, it is what we try to do every single time, we tell you a week before we're going to partake so that that week there can be some extra reflection and confession of sin. And we're going to take a brief moment even before we partake here uh, again for just a, a final time to confess some things before God. If the Holy Spirit convicts you so that you see some things in your life. If you see some unrepentant sin, that doesn't necessarily mean right now don't partake. But what it does mean is right now, repent, resolve to turn to Christ, resolve and uh, that you are going to leave it and think of how you are going to. So I'm going to give instructions here in a little bit of how we'll do this. But as we normally do, I'm going to invite us to spend just a, a couple of minutes here in silent prayer for final confession of sin. If you've been tuning in to the live stream here, we're glad you joined with us. Uh, Lord willing, we'll see you back another time, but we're gonna bow here, so let me invite you to do that now. Our merciful God, we thank you for your grace to us, and Lord, we confess and acknowledge that we are sinners, and we're sinners past a point that we even recognize. Lord, we are often aware of ways we sin intentionally, sin in ways that we, we know that we did even when it wasn't intentional. Father, we also realize that simply falling short of the standard of excellence that you set for us is also sin. And so God, we ask for forgiveness. Father, in all the ways, areas, and places in our lives that we have transgressed, committed iniquity, broken your commandments, or just fallen short, we ask that you will look on us with mercy. We are thankful for the confidence that we have. The confidence that we have that when we come to you and acknowledge that our relationship with you is restored. So, oh Lord, look on us with mercy, we pray. And we ask this through Christ. Amen. We ask, uh, Mr. Ben, Brian, Logan, if you guys will come on up here, please, to help me distribute the elements. In 1 Corinthians 11, starting in verse 23, it says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. If you guys will go ahead and bring those back. I'm gonna give a couple of instructions for how we will proceed uh, today. Um, but first, I wanna just kind of say a word about it. Um, in the New Testament, when we are given instructions about how to practice uh, the Lord's Supper, we're never told specifically about here's how you have to do it in this exact way. So generally in our church, we pass the trays with the elements. At other churches, they just simply have one table and everybody gets in a line and comes down there. Some other places, they put it on the side and just sometime during the service, you go at your convenience and go do it. In the early church, they, the observance of the Lord's Supper was a part of a full meal that they would take. 
There's no place in scripture where we're told you have to do it like this, past the trays or with a meal. What we're told is that we are to eat and drink in remembrance of Christ. The, the emphasis of all of it is the theology in the eating and the drinking. So the hows, there will be some latitude in. Uh, when we move here in just a second, what we'll do um, is that we'll ask you to go to the table that's closest to you and you can help yourself when you go. Um, oftentimes, whenever we pass out the elements, we wait until everyone has it. Today, just go ahead and as soon as you take of the bread and the cup, go ahead and partake. And then you can come on back to your seats there. Uh, shouldn't take very long for us to be able to file through. And as we're doing this, don't think that it has to be just utter complete silence. Because if you want to take some time for prayer, reflection, feel free to do that. But we have a unique opportunity this time. We don't always have our children in the room with us. And there's a wonderful opportunity here, moms and dads, to explain through to them why they are not to partake. And the answer is not just that they're not old enough yet. The answer is that they must personally trust Christ and then obey him in baptism. And then whenever they have been made publicly a part of the body of Christ, then they will be able to participate in this right here. So we're going to, in just a moment, uh, have another word of prayer and gratitude for the cause. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoyed this week's message. Tune in again next week as we continue through God's Word at True Vine Baptist Church. We also invite you to like our Facebook page, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at TrueVineIND, or visit our website at true-vine-baptist.org.